When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast with fewer holes in it than an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. I am Jared Stormer of MazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, also of MazingBrew.com. Andy, you Shakespearean troubadour. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. Quick question. What is your Hit favorite me. Sorkin screenplay? He wrote Social Network. That's the that's the answer. That's the answer to that. Yeah, social God, network. This is why we're friends, Jared. This is why. Yeah, I mean, that's one of like three reasons why we're friends. <laughs> are, you, are you a West Wing guy? I'm big West Wing guy. Yeah, I've only seen the first two or three seasons, but solid show. Just like gas. It's like Randy Johnson in his prime. Man, the dialogue in that it just goes. Right. Yeah, this is a football podcast. <laughs> this is. We di- we digress for the rest yes. of the episode. All right, man. Uh, good to be here for the final of our four-part season preview. Broke it up into quarters this time around. And you mentioned last week that you thought the last podcast covered the most difficult section of the schedule. That is false. It is this part of the schedule. Uh, sneaky difficult. I will agree with that. But uh, at Penn State... Maryland and then are at Maryland and then Ohio State at Michigan is the hardest part of the schedule. Yeah, I'm I'm st- I'm we're going to wait and see. Like Penn State's a little overhyped. Maryland I think is again, like I told you off air. They're like diet Texas. Everybody's like, oh, they're going to be good this year. They have speed. It's awesome. They don't have talent. Congratulations. <laughs> like there's more talent than there has been in a while there. They're recruiting better. I mean, they're right up there with us as far as the number of four stars and five stars that are bringing in now. So but I agree with you. I, they're they're not necessarily someone that I'm afraid of, and people are always saying, "Watch out for Maryland," and we usually handle them. Yeah, if you don't need, and we're going to find out quick because they open up with WVU in a former uh, Big East matchup, or uh, I guess were they, like, was Maryland Big East? I'm not sure, but I knew they used to have a rivalry back in the day in the early 2000s. So that'd be fun to watch them renew that, and we'll get a taste early of how good they are because. Two years ago, they were blown out like, you know, Fordham in the Citadel. We thought they were like really scary. And it's like, no, they're not. Yeah. Lessons were learned uh, early on in that one. But I mean, they've got the Tagalivoa kid. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But before we get into that, a uh, little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of news from camp. Uh, this isn't necessarily news. This is something that I was just reading earlier and wanted to get your opinions on. So I was listening to or reading the Clink Scale interview about the secondary. And then I read the Jamon Green quotes about the secondary because you know very well where I feel uh, or how I feel about the secondary and, and their, uh, their potential this year. I did not get the vibe that they're feeling super comfortable about who they got back there. There's still a competition for that second cornerback spot. Jamon Green is one of them. Uh, but Klinksiel, maybe it was just kind of holding back on praise as, you know, that's – that's just how he coaches, but I did not get the vibe that he thought that they had an abundance of talent back there. I kind of liked his reserve. He doesn't seem the type to BS interviews or anything like that from his time on the John Jansen podcast or his time at UK. And also, if he came out and was like keeping praise on the corners, I wouldn't buy it. 
Like, I, I don't care how much praise you want to heap on the corners. I watched them get cooked. So I kind of like the tempered approach to everything. It's like, it was very measured. He seemed very thoughtful and calculated his answers. And, you know, we'll see. Like, this is the biggest we'll see position group of anybody. Give me all the hype on the linebackers and defensive ends. But for these corners, it's like, I kind of like the measured approach. But, like, you know, we're getting there. We're grinding. There's a competition. And the best are going to play. Yes, and you're right about the, the first point that you made, that if he came out and was like, trust me, Vincent Gray, you're going to forget all about Jordan Lewis. I'm like, all right, sure, Steve. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not buying any of that. But, yeah, it's a very measured approach, and it, it's probably not that he doesn't like the guys that he has there, but I would definitely buy that he thinks there's more room to grow. I mean, he came right out and said that. But a lot of this is coach speak. I just, I don't know, I just didn't get the impression. And then uh, with Jamon Green's, comments he also said that there's days where gray and turner will push him but those two are really battling and when asked about the confidence he said the confidence is good but he wasn't necessarily coming out and saying like oh we we know we're going to be a million times better so even the players taking a more reserved approach to this which probably makes sense after last year it does, and it's not going to be strict man-to-man. It's like just because you're not a good man corner doesn't mean you're just a flat-out terrible cornerback. So a lot of that's going to change in this scheme as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that they did say uh, that was positive was that, is that I love this defense because you know the guy across from me doesn't always know exactly what I'm going to be in. So just adding that little wrinkle to it, uh, I do think they're going to be better. But I think we need to maybe keep our expectations tempered on this secondary, at least to start out, and unless I see Dax Hill in one of the corner spots early on. And not even secondary. I would just say corners because I think corners. the safety group is super deep. Yeah, yeah, safeties yeah. are going to be solid. Um, the other piece of news, or two pieces of news that we have, Cornelius Johnson listed as potential wide receiver number one uh, between him and Ronnie Bell. Not really necessarily a surprise. There was some Dalen Baldwin hype coming up uh that was coming for me baby (laughs) mostly coming from you uh who knows where that could have emanated from but yeah it it does look like it is cj uh ronnie bell and then mike saner still as your top three receivers that you'll likely see first yep those should be the starters i think that's pretty locked in the next group of being dalen baldwin roman wilson aj henning it's like what a ridiculous group. Not even mention people like Andrell Anthony, who will also see time. So an embarrassment of riches out there. It's great to see Cornelius being the number one. A How tall is he? Is he six feet? Six three. He's bigger. Oh, he's bigger than six foot. I thought he was closer to like six two, six three. That's I love to hear that, that he's like kind of coming into his own. He's been getting better every season. A lot of experience, those top three. And I'm just saying, like Dalen Baldwin, he's going to have a moment this year. You just wait on it. Yeah, I, I believe he'll have some catches. I mean, he's got uh, he's got a big, like a good receiver's body, and some of those clips that we saw coming out of camp looked pretty good. So, yeah, I'm definitely not writing him off. I'm still a big Roman Wilson believer. Yeah, you at Broom's a big Roman Wilson guy too. Like on the Hawaii kid, I love. I mean, dude, the receiver Explosive. room is as deep as it's ever been at Michigan. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's a good problem to have. Uh, the next news that we need to touch on this one actually was a surprise. And it is Nakai Hill Green is going to be a starter over Michael Barrett. I guess it's not that surprising when you look at the defense that they're going to be playing in that 4-3 under kind of 3-4 model. He's just not a thumper, a downhill thumper like that. He's a good pass rushing linebacker. And he's, 
you know, can cover some guys out in space. But in this defense, he probably was going to get passed up just based on measurables. Now, he's the great hybrid safety backer that can play on the outside and play in some coverage, but he can't play inside backer. He's just going to get swallowed up in the flow of the offense, not be able to shake off guards. So to have Nakai Hill Green playing next to Josh Ross is is the best case scenario for this defense, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I look at these linebackers. I don't like to look too far ahead, especially right now when we have a whole season coming up. But man, next year, that linebacking core is going to be devastating yeah. with Hill Green, Junior Colson. Yeah. Jalen uh, Harrell. Like, I mean, Jaylen the linebackers Harrell. are going to be very good. Ojabo is probably Ojabo will be there. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be Upshaw. Upshaw will be there. Yeah. It's it's going to be really good next year. But yeah, for this year, Hill Green, I'm super excited to see him. One of the guys that my eyes will be trained on right away, I would have to say. Just want to see what he brings. And I think you were higher on him. I'm still a Colson guy who we'll yeah. see. But it's the name. It's interesting. Clay Mullings has kind of gotten swallowed up in all of this. A little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I think next year probably will be when he makes his move. I have to imagine Barrett transfers. I mean, that's a bit of a bold prediction, but if you get swallowed up here and passed up by all these guys, he's a former running back too. So could potentially move somewhere and transfer to that side of the ball. But yeah, Khalil Mullings haven't really heard much from him, but I, I am excited for what we're going to trot out there at linebacker. It's our depth is definitely improved. I remember was it was a year or two ago. We're like, after McGrone and Ross, it gets slim. So we had a bunch of transfers in the offseason. The emergence of Colson coming in and just like being the stub we hoped he would be has helped a ton. Yeah, yeah, you'll definitely see him probably first game, I'd imagine. I mean, especially if we get out to an early lead. So, yeah. yeah. He and who else? Who was the other preseason freshman All-American? Uh, was he at linebacker? It was it was Colson on defense, and it was an offensive player. Uh, oh, freshman. Uh, freshman um uh, edwards yes donovan edwards yeah donovan edwards yes i believe so so definitely guys i'll have my eyes on uh anything else coming out of camp that you wanted to touch on nothing too much just more coach speak players getting better it seems just very positive very positive and very healthy yeah yeah i mean i like hearing about the energy that is one thing that you keep hearing now is the energy's up even still and Got to keep that up for a whole season, though, not just for camp. So that yeah, and a we, lot of Cade McNamara praise from all over the place. Yeah, especially as a leader. I have been hearing that as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah, starting to get excited, man. Will you be carving out any time in your day to watch the powerhouses that are Nebraska and Illinois face off this Saturday? Absolutely. Just crush it up in a fine powder and give it to me like it is. <laughs> I just been craving college football so much and you told me off very spoke to a Nebraska fan. Uh, they have a rough schedule this year. So rough. if you enjoy some of their misery, enjoy watching them face Brett Bielema in his return to the Big Ten. I'm sure his big yeah. plate of ribs waiting on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Bielema somewhere eating ribs right now with some mac and cheese and a three helpings of mashed potatoes and gravy, and I respect him for it. But Bielema's, he's had the number uh, of the uh, Cornhuskers for a while now. Brings back one of the oldest teams in the country. And yeah, that's as easy as it gets for Nebraska. Their out of conference schedule is Oklahoma. And then from our division in the Big Ten, they drew Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. Yikes. <laughs> it's not going to be, you know, not going to be, you know, smooth sailing this year in Lincoln. So, uh, worst of luck to Scott Frost. You know, hope all bad things in coaching happen to you. So, enjoy yeah, this. <laughs> I, I think it's going to. I don't think they're going to get to a bowl game. So, I think it's going to be rough for Nebraska. 
<laughs> yeah, the one team at a conference like nobody wants to see this year is the buzzsaw that is like soon to be Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. No part of Georgia or Oklahoma this uh. year. But all right, man, time to get into the meat of the podcast. We broke down the uh, third part of the season. This is part four. As I said earlier, we're starting with Michigan at Penn State. Penn State is, I mean, they're like an amalgamation of what Michigan is in a lot of ways. Uh, but I'm just, you and I are never really big Penn State believers outside the Saquon year. I'm not a James Franklin believer. I mean, we're a Ronnie Bell drop away from exercising that demon right there in Happy Valley. I believe that we can get it done. But let's talk about this. What are you thinking about this matchup? Penn State is super talented, as they always are, because James Franklin is still a premier recruiter in the Big Ten and nationally. But you and I talked about it before and said it ad nauseum that not big on him as a developer. It's funny is saying that as Michigan fans and seeing some of our Michigan players in the NFL underdeveloped. But James Franklin struggles with that mightily. And they return Sean Clifford. He's going to be the straw that stirs the drink at quarterback. But he's on his third OC in as many years at Penn State and never been a Sean Clifford guy. And adding more confusion and different schemes for him to learn doesn't inspire confidence on my end. No, especially since one of his big problems is ball security. I mean, he he can turn the ball over and things can the, the the wheels can really fall off of this offense when he does. And I look at this this roster that they've got going on right now. I mean, I would take Kate McNamara over Sean Clifford, no problem. Uh, the next guy that I look at, Jahan Dotson, definitely going to play on Sundays at some point. They're really talented wide receiver. Can Clifford get him the ball? Behind that, eh, a little shaky at wide receiver. They do de develop wide receivers pretty well, but nobody that I'm looking at and I'm too worried about. Uh, their O-line brings back uh, three guys, but the O-line had more leaks than the Iranian Navy last year. So they love their tackles, though. They think they've got two NFL guys in their tackles. The problem is it's the interior there. They have super talented running backs, but they're going to have to get them outside in space, and I think opposing defenses are going to know that. I mean, they have studs at running back with the combination of Kayvon Lee, Noah Kane, and John Lovett. I mean, those are just stud after stud after stud of potential, but if they can't run up the middle, it's going to kind of limit this offense and make them Maryland-esque. Yeah, they like their talent, but just could not really produce last year uh, because of the, the porous offensive line. They expect that offensive line to be better. I think you're going to see a lot of that, especially in the Big Ten. You're going to see some teams that had poor offensive line play due to a lot of mixing and matching, a lot of improvement there this year. So I think they will be better on the offensive line. I think they'll be able to run it a bit more. But, it, I mean, this team will go as far on offense as Sean Clifford takes him and I just, I just don't see it. Um, you know, for this game, it is probably, I mean, it's, who, it's a bit late in the season. Could be at night, too early to say with something like that. Could be a whiteout. That is always dangerous. Regardless, Happy Valley is always dangerous, but their offense is not dangerous. No, and Sean Clifford just reminds me of like slightly better Brian Lewerke. He's not like a super big threat to throw the ball, but <clears throat> sneaky athletic running it. And we're going to learn a lot about this offense and what they want to do early because they open up at Wisconsin, get a easy game against Ball State. Then they have Auburn coming to Happy Valley. Like, Jeez. Yeah, their schedule yeah. is also very brutal with that non-conference. Then Villanova. And then, again, they run the Big Ten East gauntlet with everybody. And they get Maryland a week before we come into town. So we're going to learn really fast in those first three weeks what Sean Clifford and this offense are going to look like. 
man, Big Ten did not do themselves a lot of favors with the non-conference scheduling. I'm sure Ohio State did. I haven't looked at their full schedule yet today, but I'm sure they've got Tulane followed by the Maryland School for the Blind followed by, yeah, just 12 traffic cones. Hey, they get Tulsa and Akron this year, sir. Oh, excuse me, Tulsa (laughs) and Akron. I hate it here. They do have Oregon coming to town September 11th. That's right. They do have Oregon, but no Justin Herbert reloading. Yeah, we'll see. Good time to get him. Yeah, absolutely. Good time to get him. Uh, On defense for Penn State, uh, they they do lose Shaka Tony, and they do lose Jason Owe, who were both solid. Talk about Jason Owe all you want, not really producing, but he was definitely an athletic freak a la Quiddy Pay. Um, the linebackers, very Josh Ross type players is the vibe I was getting like solid tacklers, but no like elite prospects there. Um, Brandon Smith looks like the guy that maybe if they're going to have a really good linebacker and he's definitely no Micah Parsons, but he had eight tackles for loss last year. So I I don't know about their pass rush. Uh, they got a guy from temple, um, that, that they think is going to help. And they've got a six, four guy named Adisa Isaac that has some upside, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think the pass rush is going to necessarily be super dangerous, if I had to say right now. This defense seems really built to stop the run with their size and combination of speed or more or less lack thereof at the middle level. So I, I'm not super concerned about this defense being completely stopping this Michigan offense. Yeah, limiting the run is going to make it very one-dimensional, and that's what they want to do. I think Michigan will be able to get on the edges with players like Blake Corm and utilizing that speed and space. Oh, God, not to say that actual word, speed and space here. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't say that here. Oh, God, I feel like such a cheap plug. But, no, just get players on the outside and get the ball in their hands, and I feel like that's how you're going to attack this team. And the more we go over their personnel, the more optimistic I feel about this matchup. I agree. Um, you know, like you were saying, getting that speed out into space, which I hate to say out loud, but they do have a guy, Tariq Castro Fields. Probably, if I had to say the best player on their defense, really a lockdown guy, pretty shifty, and he could stay with some of our faster guys. But I don't think that they have, you know, the, the kind of guys in the secondary to keep up with the, the weapons that we can put out. So I agree with you. Yeah, I think that this comes down to our offense versus their defense. I'm not super worried about their offense putting up 40 points or anything like that. It's how improved is their defense after losing Shaka Tony and Jason Owe. And can we utilize our better athletes? Uh, We should feel good, but we should feel better about this matchup than you would normally think going into Happy Valley. Yeah, Penn State's an interesting team because similar to Michigan, had a rough season last year. Michigan was their only victory, but they're preseason ranked in the top 20. And got all this hype. Very strange. I don't understand that. But we're going to see. It just seems like too much of this offense is based on Sean Clifford being a dynamic passer, and I don't trust that. He's not that, and there's really nobody coming behind him that's going to save them there. So it's as far as Sean Clifford will take him. But all right, man, so at Happy Valley, what do you see for the spread on this one? This will be late in the season, so it's really funny projecting from this far out. Sure. Being at Happy Valley, I'm going to predict what I think it will be at that time, and I think it'll be Penn State one and a half. I, yeah, I'm right in the same wheelhouse. And I'm also kind of thinking of what it might be now when I make this decision. And I, yeah, I was going to say Penn State, maybe two and a half. Yeah, it's going to be very cl- I think Michigan will come in higher ranked at this time of the season. I think they will be better. Uh, but I think, but Penn State will still like not be a bad team. And they're no. going to be have that home, that home field advantage, which is always good, always potent. Yeah. 
definitely not a bad team, but a team that I think could regress. I mean, they had a rough year last year, but we're not really taking last year, as we've said a million times, yeah. at face value. So. No, they're gonna they'll take a step back. It's it's really funny. I was watching the 2016 game where Penn State ended up going on to win the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl, but Michigan blew them out 49 to 10. Yes, that, I recall that that Penn State offense featured Deshaun Hamilton, uh, Mike Gusecki, Chris Godwin, Saquon Bark, and Saquon Barkley. I mean, it was ridiculous, but yeah, they could put up 10 points against that defense. Yeah, it's just oh, beautiful. Oh, what yeah. a time to be alive! All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back. We've got Maryland and then, begrudgingly, the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're going to get to that and more right after this. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are going to wrap up this season preview, the final couple games of the season. Michigan at Maryland. The Terrapins coming off of, everybody had an awful year last year, but they did show some signs of improvement Looks like they maybe found a quarterback in the Tugavailoa brother, Taulia. I, I probably butchered that, uh, but he, he's coming back through a lot of interceptions. But they they think they're going to have a really good offense. You know, Mike Loxley being the offensive guy for at Alabama with Gaddis. So there's still that kind of, you know, who was actually the engine behind that, the architect of that offense. So some intrigue there. What do you think about this matchup? I like it a lot for Michigan. Maryland has talented, talented players. Mike Loxley is getting some speed there. And they're going to be able to do some things with this offense, especially creatively. He'll get the ball spread around. And I think against inferior teams, they're going to roll over them like they normally do, put up a bunch of points. But they're going to struggle when it gets into the Big Ten schedule. This reminds me of when Rich Rod, which you try to forget, took over Michigan. Like We had some flash there for a while, but we would just get – pushed off the ball against teams like Wisconsin and Iowa. And that's what this team reminds me of. They have, they're faster. They have a little bit more talent in those early Rich Rod years. But when they come against Michigan, you're just going to get pushed off the ball a little bit, which kind of negates the speed advantage you have. Yeah. I mean, what good is it if your quarterback has, you know, 1.8 seconds before he's scrambling outside of the pocket. But yeah, I, I do agree with a lot of what you said, especially that they have some talent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, their wide receiver, Dante Demas, is 6'3 and fast, and he's a really, really imposing target. I'll be watching him for sure. Their running backs leave a little something to be desired. They did have some trouble running the ball. Uh, likely going to be a guy named Many Boone and Tayon Fleet Davis as well, splitting with them. A lot of uh, all-name team candidates on Maryland, but not a lot of returning production. Uh, three of the five on the line coming back. Tell me if you've heard that before. Um, Jalen Duncan, though, is maybe their most talented offensive player. He is the left tackle uh, who they think is like an all first Big Ten team lock kind of guy. Uh, very Jalen Mayfield vibes coming out from him. They expect a big year from him. Uh, best of luck. <laughs> that left tackle is a stud, but the rest of that offensive line is rough and it's been rough since Loxley took over. Um, they're just going to try to get the ball to that 6'3 kid, get their players on the outside, similar when you'd see Maryland try to get the ball to people like Anthony McFarland. You know, DJ Moore was there several years ago. The offense feels like it didn't completely overhaul when Loxley took over. Because remember, he was the interim in 15, so his fingerprints have been over this program for six, seven years now. So they're going to try to get the ball outside, lots of sweeps, lots of motion and movement, and – Tua's brother's great. He's got the name value, but there's also a reason that Tua played at Alabama and his brother's playing at Maryland. 
Uh, it's the money that they were offering them from Under Armour, of course. Exactly. Of course. And who doesn't want to live in College Park, Maryland? Come on. Yeah. Hey, I mean, with the NIL stuff and like the ties with Under Armour, I don't know. He might be uh, he might be getting in the bag now. It's possible. But yeah, College Park, Maryland, not as appealing. Nothing screams the bag like four wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maryland, it sounds a lot like four wins. Uh, on their defense, I mean, their defense gave up 430 yards and 32 points per game. Uh, the one good thing that they could do is they got after the quarterback and they have 10 starters returning. Uh, and they have a guy on their defense named Ruben Hippolyte, which is once again another Harry Potter-ass name. Uh, good candidate to be the leading tackler at linebacker. Um, and then they've got this guy, Darrell Nchami, who's a pretty pure pass rusher at linebacker. But they got two defensive tackles that are both over 330 pounds and were their leading pass rushers. So that is interesting to have your best pass rushers be right up in the middle. Um, but they weren't that good at stopping the run. So really just a bizarre, bizarrely constructed defense. Maryland's defense will be better. And like last year, we throw it out the window. Their defense was 0.7 yards per game worse than Michigan. So, hey. Better than that. We gotcha. <laughs> it, oh, not the gotcha dancers. The uh, So this defense will be better. A lot of experience. I do like their both defensive tackles. Big, physical. You don't see that kind of production there often. It makes you really like wonder about the weakness on the edges. It's just kind of funny. Their offense wants to get to the edges and defense. They seem like they don't want anybody to go to the edges because they seem deficient there. But I expect improvement there. And again, this is Michigan's going to try to get, get the ball outside, overwhelm these defensive tackles a little bit with their size and double teams and Sharon Moore's new schemes along the offensive line. But Maryland's going to be better, but I think they still have potential to be the worst team in the Big Ten. <laughs> that's that's a bold statement. Yeah, it's hard to pick who the worst team in the Big Ten is. I mean, the, the basement keeps on rising, but it very well could be them. I think that, you know, they'll be able to do some stuff, but Michigan has a ton of options on offense to, for what they want to do against this defense, whether that be getting the ball out of Cade Mack's hands quickly on slants and out routes to all of that speed, or you can run against this team. They're not great against the run. So, I mean, that'll probably be a big component of this game plan. I just don't know that they'll be able to stop us enough, and I, I don't see them putting up more than 21 points either because that hasn't happened in a long time. And that's the most they've ever put up against Jim Harbaugh, and that was in 2018. And Michigan doubled him up, beat him 42-21. In 19, Michigan played very lethargic. It was like right after the revenge tour, a big letdown weekend, and housed him 38-7. to So Michigan's always had this team's number. So I expect the spread to be it, somewhere around 17. I'll go, uh, I'll go Michigan 15 and a half. Okay. It's going to be, it'll be high this late in the season. You're going to know what both teams are bringing to the table. Yeah. And I expect Maryland's going to have some losses at this point. So, all People right. People are calling it a trap game. What do you think about that? Uh, I thought about it long and hard because of, you know, the fact they got some athletes and they got a quarterback that they like. I, I College Park doesn't scare me. I think the Northwestern game's a, a better trap game. Yeah, this just this team just doesn't seem to have that juice or pop in the middle that's going to really cause Michigan problems. And like you and I discussed off air, the game always before Ohio State, Michigan's been like they've always handled their business, whether it be in snow with John O'Corn or you know a sneaky Indiana team in a different year. It's like they always kind of take care of it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Nebraska might be more of a, a trap game than this because they're going to be desperate after only having two wins at that point in the season. <laughs> 
fighting for life, Scott Frost, literally coaching for his job. Coaching for his job. Yeah, that's probably more of a trap game than this one. So I agree with you on that one. Uh, all right, before we get into what is surely going to be painful to discuss, got to take a moment to talk about our sponsors over at Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel out of Indianapolis, incredibly comfortable, affordable sportswear brands with the selection that absolutely has you covered no matter who your team is. Old school, new school designs, you can go back and browse a super comprehensive list uh, with some of the, the designs from yesteryear. Uh, hopefully you're a Michigan fan. I assume so since you're listening to this, but they've got you covered regardless. And you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. All right, brother, there's no no avoiding it. We have to talk about Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, where do you want to start with this? Do we do we talk about the significance of this particular Ohio State, Michigan matchup? Oh, man. How many losses do you think Michigan has coming into this game? And keep in mind, Throwing out the COVID year, as we did for everybody and we've always hit on, Jim Harbaugh's only entered this game with three or more losses one time. How many losses does this team have coming into Ohio State? I mean, I predicted us at eight and four, so that would mean three losses coming in. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll say three losses coming in. Yeah, I still think two, but it's like coming into this one, how much pressure is on Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State? We've already said Michigan State's the must-win of the season. And Correct. knowing where Ohio State is as a program, you know, a little bit more turnover than they're used to. C.J. Stroud coming in with no starting experience, some turnover on the roster as well. But they still bring back studs at receivers we're going to get into. So how much pressure is on this exact game, having never beaten the Buckeyes, have not toppled them since 2011? I think there's a ton of pressure because, I mean, this is the one that everyone's been clamoring for. Obviously, you mentioned the Michigan State component here. You've got to take care of business there. But then when this comes, I mean – all you ever see anyone say in any comment thread anywhere on Twitter in any bar that people are talking about it is the just beat Ohio state, which honestly gets a bit old and it's a bit, I don't know. It's a bit primitive of an argument because you got to look at where they're at and where we're at. I mean, they're closer to the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world and we are closer to the, I don't know, A&Ms and maybe Florida's of the world. Yeah. You know, we're just in a different tier than they are. That being said, if you're going to get them and you're going to get that ridiculous juggernaut that will be Ohio State again, this is a good year to get them because you get C.J. Stroud, who has thrown exactly zero college passes, coming into the big house. Now, if anyone out there is considering selling your tickets to Ohio State fan, do not, because that is, you know, maybe the one thing, you know, a raucous big house. And if we only have two losses, you know, and you and you really pack that place. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there's enough there's enough on that Michigan team to pull a crazy, crazy upset. One thing I really like about coming into this game as well is Mike McDonald's defense against this level of offense because he's been seeing Lamar Jackson in practice the last three years in a heavily reliant run offense, the most exciting mobile quarterback in the NFL, a hot former Heisman Trophy winner. So he knows kind of how to approach this. At least has better experience seeing it in practice. When you know Jim Harbaugh had the Colin Kaepernick experience, but that was not nearly what no. Lamar Jackson was, and that's coming from a defensive mind in this matchup, and not a former coworker of Ryan Day as Don Brown was at Boston College. Yeah, uh, Don Brown was not equipped to take on Ryan Day, and the fact that they had worked together and he had seen everything that Don Brown likes to do that was not in any way beneficial to us because Don Brown was bringing nothing about what Ryan Day likes to do. Because Ryan Day is young and innovative. 
and he is on the cutting edge of things. Don Brown hasn't been on the cutting edge since the Iran-Contra controversy. It's been a long time since he was really in the in the know, in the zeitgeist, as you were, as it were. So, yeah, I mean that change is definitely going to be you know a beneficial one for us as well. And last year, this Buckeyes offense was once again a juggernaut. They averaged 519 yards and 41 points a game. Uh, that's just disgusting. But like we said, Justin Fields is now a Chicago Bear, and he was a huge part of that. As was Trey Sermon, who's now a 49er. So praise God, both of them are gone. And no, nobody slowed down Ohio State until the national championship game in Alabama did. Remember, Dabo Sweeney famously put Ohio State as like 15 or something or 10 on his top 10 ballot at the end of the year. And then they played each other and got blown out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe just keep your mouth closed. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to talk smack about an opponent like that, you better be able to back it up. Yeah, don't say things like that to this Ohio State team. They are good. They will not be as good as they were last year. I think last year's team was just at really, really good. Um, Northwestern did some things to give them some problems, which is something to kind of lean upon. You can give them some confusion, be physical. It helps when you have a first-round corner talent in Newsom like Northwestern did. Do not, but you do have Dax Hill, which can make things very interesting for players like Chris Olave. And the defense feels like malleable. The offense, how do you think our offense stacks up against this team? Our offense against their defense, I'm a little concerned. Actually, I'm more than a little concerned. <laughs> uh, it's going to be really, really good up front. Um, I, I Some people are predicting that Kerry Coombs is going to want to run more of a 4-2-5 to kind of change up the personnel because they lost uh, Pete Werner and Tuff Borland, who had been there forever, it seems like. Uh, but they have an absolute stable up front. Like they probably, no, I'm not even going to say probably. They have the best starting four on the defensive line in the entire conference. Starts up front with Zach Harrison, but then you got Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson there in the middle that are both going to be really good, going to play on Sundays. And then Tyreek Smith's on the other side. Like that is, that's as good as anything we threw out there with the Gary and, you know, Wormleys or Winoviches on the other side. Like that's going to be a really good front four. It's going to be tough, and I wrote an article this week for Mason Brew, shameless plug, and talked about one of the most important things is establishing the run. The team that's won the rushing advantage has won every game since the year 2000. Like That's what you have to do, win the rushing battle. Michigan's thrown for more passing yards against Ohio State in the Harbaugh era than they have against us, but they've outrushed us crazy. So. That's the yeah. That's the point. You have to be able to establish the run against that, and maybe if you can, that negates some of the pass rushing prowess of a Zach Harrison and Tyreek. Like that's, I think that's where you have to you have to attack them head on because just dropping back to pass against this front four is going to be a nightmare. It's going to be real tough. And I mean, we like our tackles, but I mean, you've heard it pretty clearly that the best offensive lineman we have is Zach Zinter, who we don't know yet where he's going to play. Um, everyone's going to have their hands full against these guys. And I think that we will be able to move the ball a little bit. Um, your point about us having more passing yards is usually because we're down by like 24 already against this team and we have yep. no choice but to do so. But yeah, if you can find ways, you got to get creative ways to run the ball. Got to use, you know, the strength of this team is probably Haskins, Corum, that running back room, and then wide receiver depth. So you got to use those things to your advantage somehow. And I mean, I, I'm definitely concerned and, you know, but mostly about that front four, they don't really have the secondary that they've had in the past with guys like Sean Wade being out and, 
you know, in the past. You know, Denzel like, Ward, Malik Hooker, Marshall. Yeah, every year they're putting, out, yeah, they're putting out a first rounder every year. They, I mean, and they might. They've got some seven banks, I think. I think that's how you say his name. And Cameron Brown, those are your likely starting corners. I just think a little bit less effective, maybe a little, not not on the elite level that some of these other guys have been on. But, it, you know, it's negated by how good this pass rush could be. Yeah, it's everything starts up front for them. It is, like we talked about, this Ohio State team will be a step back from what they were because of some talent on the back end, quarterback concerns. But a step back for Ohio State from where they've been is like ranked fifth in the country. Like yeah. instead of second or first, like they're fifth to seventh right now. They're still going to be a juggernaut. It's going to take a Herculean effort from Michigan to topple them. But I would just like to see the defense keep Michigan in the game, avoid the third quarter, late second quarter flood that Ohio State always seems to put on. Because, you know, up until the last, those 18, 19 years, Harbaugh was always coaching very well in these games. Even the offense was moving the ball early in 18 and 19. And I think one of my hottest takes is I think the 17 game against Ohio State was Jim Harbaugh's best coached game at Michigan. Yeah, we discussed that in our What Could Have Been podcast about the 2017 game. It it was really a good plan of attack, especially since you had to march John O'Korn's limp corpse out there. <laughs> exactly. So if the defense can, you know, just hold the barrier, and I wrote in the article, like, keep Ohio State under 30 points, and in the last six years, they're 12-8 and eight when they're held under 30 points, and they are undefeated when they're when they score more than 30 so a Yikes. 30 point just keep them underneath there and the game's like there's a chance but <laughs> telling me there's a chance exactly uh, until game week of course i can't pick michigan in this game game week though come on i'm just oh yeah I'm breathing we fire do. that we're, we're both breathing fire that week yeah, yeah probably depends on where we're at in the season how many losses do you think ohio state has coming into this game that's an excellent question i have their schedule here they got Oregon and Penn State. I know that. Um, the Fordham and whoever else you said they're playing. Zero. Zero losses coming in? Zero, uh, one to zero. The only trip-up game I could see them having is Indiana. They're, they're coming off a of bye week. Then they go at Indiana. And it was more of a theme under Urban Meyer where they drop a game against an unranked or middling Big Ten team like Purdue or somebody like that. So that would be the one. But off their schedule and where everything falls for them, zero. They never have any scheduling issues. Like, we will be 106 years old, and they will still have the most favorable schedule in the Big Ten. It's it's kind of ridiculous at this point. So may, maybe the uh, football alliance will shake things up. You know, it's all done on trust and the Boy Scout salute. So I'm, I'm sick of this. Give us another rival. Can't we just be rivals with, like, Mississippi State or something now? Or give Ohio State another rival. Can't they have uh, – uh, Baker Mayfield plant the Oklahoma flag at center field. Yeah, make Oklahoma there. I'm sick of this. <laughs> make Oklahoma. I want to see Lincoln Riley in Columbus every year. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. But um, I have one more question before we get to the spreads. How would you like to see the running back rotation in these big games? What would you like to like? Give me a, a carries number for Haskins and Corum in these big games. I would like to see it the way the Browns distribute carries to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
So Nick Chubb's going to be your I'm not, so the Nick Chubb role go to Son Haskins. You're stalwart, getting about 18 ish carries a game, and Blake Corms getting around 10 to 12, but also being featured in the passing game. I think if you do that balance, it's a good spell, and you're still establishing a Son Haskins as your bell cow by not wearing him down and putting him up to 25 or 30 carries. I love that answer. That was better than anything I could have hoped for. Exactly like that. I want you to do it exactly <laughs> like they do it on the Browns. Yeah, run it like that. Just like say good balance. You get both good players out there and let them utilize their skill set and just staying healthy. Like Karan Higdon came in the 18 season, super banged up. Like just keep them healthy, but let them both cook. Like that's where this offense is going to be the best is if we can establish the run with those guys, that's going to open up the entire offense. We can't just fall in love with the pass and be one dimensional against this team. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want to just have those big plays, but they're harder to get against a team like Ohio State. They will be pretty solid at safety. So, yeah, ball control and keep the ball out of the hands of uh, Chris Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson. I mean, they have 16 five stars on their roster. 16. It's insane, man. They're going to they're going to be a crazy talented team again. And like in 18 and 19, they were both games for a half. And then it all just fell apart from there. In 19, it fell apart right before the half. That's why I was drinking a vodka or gin martini and eating chocolate chip waffles next to you. Yeah, I, I was there. I remember it. Not much after that, but. <laughs> it was it was rough. So, again, it's take a big effort. And at this point in the season with Michigan, I think we'll have two losses. Ohio State will be undefeated. It's at Michigan, which is huge. For the love of God, don't sell your tickets. Don't do not. Grow a heart. Find Jesus. Find Tom Cruise. Find something. Keep your tickets, support this team. Ohio State's going to be 14-point favorite. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll stick with you at Ohio State by 14. But, yeah, look inward. Keep your tickets. Make sure that you dress for the occasion, meaning in the right colors, and be loud. Like, I'm, we, we've got to get back to having some home field advantage. It's, it's so upsetting that all these people say, just beat Ohio State. But then when the game comes, they're selling their tickets to Ohio State fans. Like, how is that helping? If I still live in the country, I'm going to that game. Like, I'm going to be in Ann Arbor and be at the game supporting where I think the team's going to be. But it, come on. Like, yeah, like, don't don't say that's the only thing that matters. Then don't watch the game. Don't go to the game. Sell your tickets. Like, I'm so tired of these half-assed measures and pleas when you're not going to support them. Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to need it. And, yeah, we're going to need it for this game. And I don't know how many more losses my my old weary heart can take. So, you know, every time they beat us, I, I think I lose like a patch of hair and I get like a, a little mark under my crow's feet and my my liver takes a pounding. That's for sure. I do think we're both in agreement, though, that we love the what are you doing to beat Ohio State today mantra that's been resurrected this past offseason. Had to happen. Absolutely had to happen. Yeah, we're on the same page there and they need to like I want to have them doing something in practice every single practice for them. I, I mean, that's what they do for us. Yep, Jim Harbaugh said it best. We're going to beat Ohio State or we're going to die trying. All right, well, let's avoid dying. <laughs> let's avoid death, please, God. All right. All right, that's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.